0: chapter 9. Now, now keep in mind, you'll have to believe me on this, or I'll read the whole two chapters, okay? But all of chapter 8 and all of chapter 9 is written about one offering. Now, again, the offering was not for the church at Corinth, but it was to be given through the church at Corinth, and it was to go to causes outside of their own local church. And uh, by the way, that is a mission offering. All of chapter 8, all of chapter 9. So in chapter 9, I want to read three verses and give you three simple things tonight, okay? Uh, Look at verse 6. But this I say, now remember, Paul has been talking about giving and receiving, been talking about uh, the, the offering that they're taking. He said, but this I say, he which soweth sparingly shall reap also sparingly. And he which soweth bountifully shall reap also bountifully. Every man, according as he purposeth in his heart, so let him give, not grudgingly or of necessity, for God loveth a cheerful giver. And God is able to make all grace abound toward you, that you always having all sufficiency in all things. There's a lot of all's in there, amen? may abound to every good work. Now, let me give you my three points tonight, okay? Number one, in verse 6, we're going to think about the biblical principles for faith promise giving. The biblical principles of faith promise giving. In uh, verse 7, we're going to think about the purposing of the giver. The purposing of the giver. And in verse 8, we're going to think about the provisions for... Giving. So let's pray together. Dear Lord, thank you for your wonderful word, the Bible, the infallible, inerrant, inspired word of God. And thank you, dear Lord, that whatever you do, you have a good plan for it. And I pray that you'd get, help each of us get a hold of this. And, dear Lord, that we would uh, listen not only with our ears, but with our heart. And I pray that Sunday and Sunday morning, Sunday night, when the faith promise commitments are filled out, that every member of Central Baptist Church will do something in this matter of giving to world evangelization. Thank you for the missionaries that have been here this week. And Lord, I pray that you'll use each of them wherever their field may be. And I pray that they'll win souls and churches will be established and your kingdom will be increased and you'll get glory. Because, Lord, we realize you've said to us, whether you eat or drink or whatsoever you do, do all to the glory of God. So, Lord, I pray that everything we do will bring glory to you. In Jesus' name I pray, amen. All right, you have your Bibles open. Now, remember, all chapter 8, all chapter 9, Paul has been talking about giving and receiving. Now, look at verse 6. He says, but this I say, he which soweth sparingly shall reap also sparingly, and he which soweth bountifully shall reap also bountifully. Now think about it. Paul's been talking about giving and receiving and the offering and so on and so forth, and all of a sudden he talks about sowing and reaping. Now, now what has Paul done? Has he, like we as Baptist preacher, got off on a rabbit trail somewhere? Uh, I, I never will forget preaching in West Virginia many years ago. And I got so involved in an illustration, and it must have been a good one. But I got so involved in that illustration that when I got through with that illustration, I didn't have any idea what I was illustrating. <laughs> so there were some people sitting on the front seat, two missionaries. And I had to look down and I said, could either one of you help me of where I am in my message? So y'all be careful tonight, okay? So you may have to help me. Uh, Has he gotten off of his subject? No. In verse 6, he's giving us an analogy. Notice what he's saying. He's saying, sowing and reaping is like giving and receiving. Or, giving and receiving is like sowing and reaping. Now, remember, he's talking about a missionary offering. Sowing and reaping is like giving and receiving. Giving and receiving is like sowing and reaping. Now, I want to give you four simple principles, and if the, even the littlest children in here tonight, they'd understand these four simple principles, okay? Here, here, here are four principles of sowing and reaping. Number one, we reap what we sow, okay? Number two, we reap more than we sow. Number three, We reap in proportion as we sow. Number four, we reap after we sow. Now, you know the amazing thing? All four of those principles apply to giving commissions. For instance, the first one, we reap what we sow. Be not deceived, God is not mocked. Whatsoever a man soweth, that shall he also reap. Now, if we'll be real honest with ourselves tonight, and uh, you're the type of people that that will, okay, Uh, we spend most of our time, most of our God-given talent, and most of our treasures for earthly, temporal things. Guess what we're going to read? Earthly, temporal things. And by the way, that's the reason Jesus said to his disciples, Lay not up for yourself treasures on earth where moth and rust is corrupt and where thieves break through and steal, but lay up for yourself treasures in heaven where neither moth nor rust is corrupt and where thieves do not break through nor steal. This is what Jesus is saying. He's saying to his disciples, I want you to get your priorities right. Get your priorities right. Uh, Don't get too heavily involved in earthly temporal things, but get heavily involved in spiritual eternal things. Now, if we're not careful, we'll get so involved in temporal things that we forget to lay up treasures in heaven. And by the way, Anything that I have, anything I call my own, anything materialistically that I have, my clothes, my automobile, uh, my house, it doesn't matter what it is. My checking account, my saving account, whatever you have, retirement, doesn't make any difference. Whatever you have, anything bad can happen to it. You buy a new suit, first thing you know, it's shrunk. Or you've expanded, okay? <laughs> the same thing with a dress, Amen. Uh, You you buy a new car. First thing you know, it it depreciates. And it begins to run. All kinds of things happen to it. And and, and he says here, lay not up for yourself treasures on earth, where moth and rust is corrupt, where thieves break through. And by the way, anything that we have, anything bad can happen to it. And guess what? One day, anything that I have, materialistically speaking, it will no longer be mine. Because one day, Jesus will call, or I will die. And by the way, when we die, we're not going to take anything with us. It'll all be left. So don't get too heavily involved in earthly, temporal things. Every time anybody of any kind of wealth at all dies, somebody will invariably ask the question, I wonder... How much they left? And guess what? The answer is always the same. They left it all. Amen. They didn't take anything with them. So don't get too heavily involved in earthly temporal things, but get heavily involved in spiritual eternal things. Lay up for treasures in heaven. When I'm reading my Bible, when I'm praying when I'm out knocking doors, when I'm witnessing, when I've given that tract, when I'm bringing my tithe and my offering into the house of God Sunday after Sunday after Sunday, when I'm involved in God's work, you know what I'm doing? I'm laying up treasures in heaven. And thank God, nothing bad can happen to them. They are reserved in heaven for us. So don't get too heavy. You're going to reap what you sow. But the second thing is, you're going to reap more than you sow. Uh, Now, if you uh, uh, plant a grain of corn in the ground, uh, you don't expect to get one grain of corn back. You know what happens when you plant a grain of corn? You plant a grain of corn in the ground, and uh, the first thing that happens to that grain of corn is it dies. Okay? But in the process of dying, it produces a stalk of corn. And uh, that stalk of corn will have at least two ears of corn. Now, this is Kentucky corn. It may not be quite this good in Mississippi. I'm not sure, okay. But it'll have at least two ears of corn. And each of those ears of corn will have about 750 grains of corn. Now, think what's happened In one growing season... One grain of corn planted has been responsible for producing 1,500 grains of corn. Now, you take that grain of corn and you put it up here on this desk or you put it in a jar or you put it anywhere and just let it lay there and it will never be anything but one grain of corn. If we could ever get a hold of what God is doing with what we're giving, I believe all of us would want to give more. So we reap what we sow. Number two, we reap more than we sow. Let me give you just one illustration. In 1965, Virginia and Tim and Renee and I went to Japan as missionaries. In 1966, uh, we started the Cindy Newtown Baptist Church. Now, we only had a few churches supporting us. We had less than $500 a month support. Uh, we didn't know anything about missions, and our mission board was new. They didn't know anything either. So we didn't know how much we needed, and, and they didn't, you know, anyway, we, we just knew God wanted us there, and uh, God miraculously took care of us and so forth. But uh, in 1966, one, after we'd been there one year, uh, we started the Cindy Newtown Baptist Church. And I'll never forget. Uh, I met a young uh, Japanese man that had been to America, and he'd gotten saved, and he had been discipled here, and he, he was wanting to help a missionary for just a few months, and then he was going to come back to America and go to seminary. His name was Keita Takagi. And he told me about a place out in Osaka named Cindy Newtown. Uh, before, it was a mountain out there, and they bulldozed down those mountains, and they put it out in the, in the ocean. And that's where, if you land in Osaka, Japan, you'll land out there on land that was put out there in the ocean that used to be there. And then they began to build big high-rise apartments out there. And at that time, they had 80,000 people there. Now they have over 400,000 people there. And we we decided uh, we'd we'd try to start a church here. And we'd go out there and we'd visit. And by the way, before we had our first service, we knocked on every one of the doors, the 80,000 people there, uh, with the help of my wife, my son, my daughter, and a couple other missionaries and so forth. And the very first service that we had, Thursday night, never will forget, February 1966. And uh, we had a little room rented that would seat maybe uh, 65, 70 people at the most. Just one room on, and a big, big building. But it just, we had one room rented uh, on the second floor of that building. And the building began to fill up. We'd passed out all these pamphlets and had my picture on one side of the paper and Takagi's on the other side. And it looked like a, a ticket and we tell them, bring the ticket, and you won't have to pay anything. And so they began to bring them in and so forth. And I'd, I'd show the people up to the room, and then I'd come back down and wait for some other. And, and then a young fellow came up, and he uh, could speak English real well. And he had that pamphlet, and, and he looked at me, and he said, Mr. Sisk, I want you to know, I don't have any interest in Christianity. I'm a I'm I'm working on my master's degree in English at Kansai University. And he said, I understand you're speaking through an interpreter tonight. And he said, I came here to practice my English. And that will really get a missionary excited. Amen? And I had two thoughts that night. I thought, surely not. I said, I didn't come 7,000 You know, I didn't say it to him. But I thought, I didn't come 7,000 miles so somebody could practice English. And then I thought, you're in bad shape. Because my Kentucky English is nothing for anybody to practice on. <laughs> okay. But that night, before I got up to preach, the building, uh, th- those, all those seats were taken. We gave every one of them a little bit of hymn book with about fifteen hymns in it. we put together, and all of them got a New Testament. And I dare say, of the sixty-five people that were there that night. At least 50 of them had never been in a Christian service. And that night I preached a very simple gospel message. When I gave the invitation, I said with our heads bowed and our eyes closed, how many of you tonight, now think about that. You're talking about a miracle. This was a miracle, okay. How many of you would like to trust Jesus Christ as your Lord and Savior? And hands began to go up all over the place. And there were 11 people that lifted their hands that night and said they would like to trust Jesus Christ as Lord and Savior. And one of the hands was the hands of that young man. (laughs) And since he understood English real well, I dealt with him, okay? (laughs) And he got saved. And all of a sudden, he lost his interest in English. I mean, all he wanted to do was come to church and pray and read the Bible and go visit with me. I mean, he practically lived in our home. Yeah. And about six months after that, he and I were, had been out visiting, we were eating a meal. He looked at me and he said, Teacher, I'd like to spend the rest of my life just doing what you're doing. Now, he didn't know the terminology, but that's a call to preach, amen. <laughs> but he said, I have to go home and tell my mother and my brothers and my sister about this. Can you imagine a young college student going home and saying, Hey, Mom, guess what? I got saved and God's called me to preach. He said, that'd be a good news, for but it's not in Japan. He went back and he told his parents, his, his, his mother, his dad had died. He told his mother about that and his sister and brother. And uh, for three days in a row, day and night, over 72 hours, everybody in the major Japan, the mayor, uh, the Buddhist priest, on and on tried to tell him, What a horrible mistake he had made. And finally, in desperation, and he came to my house and told me this. When he came to my house that night, he looked like he was a dead man practically. It scared me. I had no idea what he'd been going through. And he began to tell me what he'd gone through and so forth. And his mother got up and said, so go go to the tombs. Worship your dad. Tell him you're sorry for what you've done. And when he said, I'm, I'm sorry, I cannot do that, they literally threw him out of the house and said, don't, don't ever come back again. He came to my house that night, and he told me that story. And I, I didn't know how, what to say to him. When, when I rode home and told my mom that God had called me to preach, she shouted, okay. Now, I wasn't there. I didn't see her shout, but they said she did. And uh, I was going home on Christmas, and and uh, the preacher there, she said she said to the preacher, my son's coming to home for Christmas, and you ought to have him preach. And he did. And she, she's telling everybody in Mannington, uh, he's the best preacher in the world. <laughs> I'd preached about two or three times by that time, okay. But in Japan, I mean, most of them, they become Christians. They suffer all kind of rejections, persecution, trials, and so forth. When he told me all those things, I said, well, God, I, I really don't. Understand what you're going through. But I said, God does. And we got on our faces before God that night. And I heard this 23-year-old man pour out his heart to God. Dear God, you know I love my mother. You know I love my dad. You know I love my country. And by the way, he's totally Japanese, okay. But Lord, I love you more than all of these And all I could think that night was, God is making a diamond. The only difference between a diamond and a piece of coal is the amount of pressure applied. That was in 1966. 2021, he pastors the largest church in Japan. At Christmas, he he sent me an email and he said we had 740 people in church. And we had 120 first-time visitors. I preached the 50th anniversary there. By the way, I told you, if you live long enough, you get to do a lot of things, amen. I preached the 50th anniversary in 2016. And there was a choir of 65 people. And all of them were in full-time Christian ministry. All of them had been saved in that church and baptized. And they were out all over the world. That church has over seven people on foreign mission fields. And they've started probably 20 other churches. You say, what do you say all that? Think about it. Think about the people that supported Virginia and me. Are they getting good dividends or not? I mean, and and by the way, when you begin to support them, you don't have any idea how God might use them. You're going to reap more than you sow so you reap what you sow you reap more than you sow but you're going to reap in proportion as you sow Uh, for instance if I have a little garden in my backyard and I plant three or four rows of corn you say brother sis why are you using corn so much I'm from Kentucky and we know more about corn we do uh, other things and by the way when I was a boy we sold our corn by the gallon okay Okay. Some, some of you will get that a little bit later on okay but if I plant three or four rows of corn and farmer down the road plants a 10 or 15 acres of corn, I guess who's going to reap the most corn? Uh, every once in a while, I hear somebody singing this song, and I like this song. I wish I had given him by and by when I stand before the I wish I had given him more. And I'm convinced all of us will. But it would be too late then. But now we have, a, we have an opportunity to give him more. And the more we sow, the more we're going to reap. Uh, when I was pastoring in Providence, Kentucky, Virginia and I went to a, a, a church not too far from Providence in Diamond down there. And they didn't have a pastor at that church. And they, they had services on Sunday afternoon and just had different ones to come in and preach. And I went down and preached. And uh, I was sitting on the front seat and they going to take the offering. And, and the, the man that was moderating the meeting he said, now, Brother Shis came from Providence, so we're going to take an offering to help him out and so forth. And he said, now, all the offering will go to Brother Sitz today. So I was sitting on the front seat, and years ago, I made it a habit. And by the way, this would be a good habit for anybody. I made it a habit that every time the offering plate was passed, I'm going to put something in it. Okay, now, I might have to borrow it from my wife when she was here or somebody I'm sitting next to or whatever, but uh, every time the offering plate passed, I'm, I'm going to put something in it. So I put a dollar bill in the offering plate. And uh, uh, I preached, and we had a good service that day. And uh, at the end of the service, the, the the moderator, he gave me an envelope, and he said, here's your, here's your love offering, Brother says. And I put it in my coat pocket. And on the way back to Providence, I said to Virginia, Hunt, see what the love offering was. Now, I know you wouldn't do that, but most missionaries do. Okay. Now, see what the love offering was. You've never done that, have <laughs> you? No, no, no. Uh, and and uh, she 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 opened the envelope, and she started laughing. I, su- I said, what are you laughing about? She said, Don, there's a $1 bill in here. I said, you're kidding. I put in a dollar bill. And I mean, she began to laugh hilariously. She got, I mean, she got, beside, and I said, Hunt, that's not funny, <laughs> you know. They, they told me they're going to give me all the offering. I put a dollar bill, in, and that's all that's in there. And she just kept laughing. Finally, I said, "Honey, what is so funny?" And she said, "Don, I couldn't help but think, if you'd have put more in, yeah, it's funny now, okay. The more we put in, the more we're going to have in eternity." You reap what you sow. You reap more than you sow. You reap in proportion as you sow. Then the last one is you reap after you sow. You reap after you sow. Now, a lot of people, they want to they reap before they sow. Uh, I can think of at least three times when people have said to me, if I had a million dollars, I'd give half of it to missions. Now, so far, I've never had a millionaire tell me that. Most of them, it's people who didn't have anything. okay? You know what they're saying? If I could reap first, I'd start sowing something. That's dumb, amen? You imagine somebody coming in here, preaching and saying, hey, uh, I'm, a, I'm a farmer, and I'm not going to plant any seed this spring, but you pray God will give me a good crop in the fall, and if he does, I'll start planting some seed. You say, wait a minute, he's about one French fry short of a Happy Meal, amen? <laughs> I mean, say, his elevator don't go all the way to the top or something, okay? You know, you, you reap after your soul, bring you all the tithes in the storehouse and see if I'll not open the windows of heaven. When? When you bring the tithe in the storehouse. Give and it shall be given unto you. When is it going to be given to you? When you start giving. You reap after your soul. We were in Columbia, South Carolina years ago and He's a good man, and you know, but sometimes good people just sort of say something foolish. And he had taken my, my wife and I out for dinner, and we got back to the motel, and Virginia went inside the motel, and he and I sat there talking about different things. And then he said to me, he said, hey, brother, says, he said, if I ever win the Reader's Digest sweepstake, I'm going to give a lot of money to missions. And I got really excited, because I know a lot of people have won that, don't you? No, you don't know anybody. I, evidently somebody does, okay. But in, in here, even, a, even a, you know, if I could reap, a, no, no, you reap after you sow. Now, now, there's the four simple principles of faith promise given. You reap what you sow, you reap more than you sow, you reap in proportion to you sow, and you reap after you sow. Now, look at verse 7. The purposing of the giver. Look at verse seven. Every man, you have your Bibles open. Well, won't you read this verse with me? Okay, uh, let, you get, find it in your Bible. Okay, I'm going to give you a minute. Won't take you long. Second Corinthians chapter nine, verse seven. Okay, help me read it. All, all of us together. Okay, every man, according as he purposeth in his heart, so let him give, not grudgingly or of necessity, for God loveth a cheerful giver. Now, this time, just read the first two words with me, would you? All together, okay? Every man. Okay, once again. Every man. Okay? Now, Paul is writing to the church at Corinth, and he's talking about a missionary offering, and he gets down to verse 7. Now, you don't have a teacher to help you with this. You don't have a concordance to consult. You just got to figure this out all by yourself. Who do you think Paul expected to give something Every man and every woman and every boy and every girl. By the way, parents, could I urge you to teach your children to give the missions? A few months ago, I read on Randy Alcorn's generous giving page online the testimony of John D. Rockefeller. John D. Rockefeller was the world's first billionaire. Can you imagine being a billionaire? Most of couldn't even imagine being a, a millionaire, amen? Sometimes it's hard to imagine being a thousandaire, okay? <laughs> but I mean, you think about it. He, he was the world's first billionaire. And when he was a boy, he he delivered, uh, he got a job delivering a, a paper, and, and I know the paper. It's, it's called The Grit. Some of you might have remembered that. Some of you are older than I am. You already remember it, okay? But it's a weekly and I, I, I delivered them in my town. But... Uh, the, the first week he delivered it, his part of the, 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 pay, the money that came in was 10 dimes. Okay, he had 10 customers evidently. But he had 10 dimes and he got home that day and his mother sat him down at the kitchen table and she put those 10 dimes in a row. And she picked up one of them and she said, John, this dime belongs to God. And she taught young John D. Rockefeller about tithing. This dime belongs to God. Now, every time God gives you a dollar, one dime of that dollar belongs to God. Now, here was John D. Rockefeller's testimony. If my mother had not taught me to tithe my first dollar, I would have probably had a hard time tithing my first million. And I'll guarantee you there was a Baptist preacher somewhere that was very glad his mother taught him to tithe. Amen. And by the way, he gave hundreds of millions of dollars to the work of God. Every man. First church I went to was Nortonville Baptist Church. That's the church I joined after I got saved. And uh, there was one man that prayed, and I thought he prayed a very pretty prayer. It sounded real pretty, okay? But every time he'd pray for the offering, and you know, they they had four or five men that take the offering like you do in most churches. And so he'd pray probably every fourth Sunday or something like that. But every time Mr. Berber would finish his prayer, now he'd pray for other things, but then just just in the closing, he'd say, now, Lord, bless those who give and those who can't give. That sounded pretty, very very humble. Bless those who give and those who can't give. And uh, so every once in a while, we'd have youth night or something, and and Brother uh, Ratliff would ask me to pray for the offering, and, and I'd pray like Brother Berber at the end of it. Dear Lord, bless those who give and those who can't give. Ten years after that, I was reading chapter, verse 7 here. Every man, according as he purposeth in his heart, so let him give. And all I could think of was, that doesn't say anything about those who can't give. You know why? Everybody could do something. Every man, according as he purposeth in his heart. Anybody here tonight couldn't give a dollar a week to mission? you young people you could give a quarter a week or dime a week or something so after that I changed my prayer. instead of praying dear Lord bless those who give and those who can't give I'd start praying dear Lord bless those who give and whip those who won't give okay <laughs> alright giving to missions is not a matter of can or can't it's a matter of will or won't now look at that word purposing every man according as he purposeth in his heart. Now, some people read it like this. Every man, according as he can figure out from his budget. Does your Bible say that? If it is, you've got a real bad translation. Amen? No, no, look at it. Every man, according as he purposeth in his heart. And by the way, that's what makes a mission conference so effective. I mean, how can you sit here Sunday night, Monday night, Tuesday night, Wednesday night and listen to the testimonies and see the presentations and see the needs of people all around the world and it not touch your heart? Wouldn't, wouldn't it be great if we, if we let our heart get in this thing? Every man according as he purposeth in his heart. The word purposing, it, it literally means to think about, to contemplate, to pray about don't just say oh well I can give $10 a week or I can give $50 a week or I can give $100 a week and by the way the largest I've ever seen is somebody gave $2,000 a week and he gave that every week so I don't know what God would speak to you right but every man, every woman every boy, every girl according as he purposeth in his heart so let him give now look at it, not grudgingly well, the pastor thinks I ought to do it, so I... No, no, no. Not grudgingly, or of necessity. Well, I guess we have to... No, no. Not grudgingly, or of necessity. For God loveth a cheerful giver. You know, if, if we're not careful, we get the wrong idea. Have you ever said anything? Well, it's Sunday. I have to go to church. It's visitation night. I have to go visiting. Uh, it's time to give. I have to give. But wouldn't it be good if we, we we would reprogram ourselves? It's Sunday. I get to go to church. It's visitation night. I get to go soul winning. Uh, God's called me to preach. I get to preach. God's called me to be a missionary. I get to go to the mission field. And by the way, folks, don't ever pity missionaries, okay? Please don't. I, I go to church sometime there. Oh, it's too bad. You've got to go to the mission field. And you're going to miss so much. Yeah, thank God for the many things you miss. Amen. So don't give missionaries your pity. They don't need it. Give them your money. They need that, okay? <laughs> but instead of, instead of thinking, this is something I have to do. No, no, no. Giving to missions is not something you have to do. In fact, look over in chapter 8 for just a minute. And look at verse 8. Notice what Paul said. I speak not by commandment. What do you He said, hey, this, this is not a command of God. This is not something you have to do. I speak not by commandment, but by the occasion and the forwardness of others, and to prove the sincerity of your love. I speak not by commandment, but by occasion of others. You know what he's saying? Up in verses 1 and 2, he talks about the churches in Macedonia. They were very poor churches, but they were giving liberally to this offering. And so he's saying here. Uh, look what others are doing. And by the way, if you think giving is something, uh, maybe you ought to go. Amen. But everybody ought to give and go. Both we ought to all give. We ought to all go someplace, and we all ought to, to pray. Every man, according as he purpose in his heart, so let him give. Now look, look at it very carefully again. I speak not by commandment, but by the occasion and the fortunes of others. Now notice this next statement. And to prove the sincerity of your love. And you know what's going to happen when you put in an amount on this commitment card on Sunday? You're going to be saying, this is how much I love my Lord. And I love what he loves. And he loves world evangelization. Prove the sincerity of your love. How many of you fellas have ever been making love to your wife? And all oh, you just telling her how pretty she is. Now, I, I love you so much, and so forth. And all of a sudden, she'll stop and say, Oh, you really love me that much? How about that new dress I've been wanting? How about that living room through to a bedroom through I mean? that? Hey, if you love me that much, well, prove it. And you know what God's saying to us tonight? You, you love me? You love lost people all around the world? Then prove the sincerity of your love. Every man, according as he purpose in his heart, him not grudgingly, not of necessity, God loves a cheerful giver. And the, the word literally means hilarious. Somebody gives and just gets all excited about it. Many, many years ago I was with uh, Tim Starr up in Illinois. He's taking an offering. and he said, now the Bible says God loves a cheerful giver. He said, uh, if you can't give it just Cheer- cheerfully, just keep it. And I thought that may be dangerous, okay? <laughs> Many years later, I was with Tom Wallace in Louisville, Kentucky. And he said, Now, the Bible says God loves a cheerful giver, but he said he'll take it from an old grouch, okay? <laughs> and, and he might take it, but the old grouch has lost his reward. No, no, no. This is not something we have to do, this is something we get to do. You see what God's doing? He's saying, hey, hey, listen, I'm doing something big all around the world. And I'm going to let you in on this. And I'm going to let you in on this. And I'm going to let you in on this. God loves a cheerful giver. Now look at verse 8. The biblical principles for faith promise giving, the purposing of the giver. And then in verse 8, and God is able. Wow. Is that a great verse or not? And God is able, and God is able to make all grace abound toward you, that you always, having all sufficiency in all things, may abound to every good work. Now, there's a lot of alls there, amen? But I believe that's what this means, okay? Right? When, when I pray and get the mind of God, and I put on my faith promise commitment card, I'm going to give $5 a week, $50 a week, $100 a week, $1,000 a week, whatever it might be. I put that commitment down there, and then week after week after week, or if you get paid every two weeks or every month, whatever, you bring it in, you make the commitment, you pay And I believe in it from the depth of my heart, what God is saying here. When I make the commitment, and then I faithfully give what I've committed. Now, by the way, this is not a pledge. Doesn't have any place for your name. Uh, if, you, if you don't do what you said you do, and nobody's going to send you a bill or anything. I, I heard about a man that uh, just kept getting overdue notices. He just kept getting them, kept getting them. He got one one time and he said, this is your final notice. He looked at it and he said, thank God they finally sent out the last one. I've been getting these things for months. <coughs> hey, uh, <coughs> Lest you tell somebody, nobody will know. No place on there for your name. Uh, it, it's not a pledge. It's a commitment you make to God. Now, by the way, now, it's important that you keep your commitment. It's very important that we keep our commitment. Look okay. at God is able. Now, he didn't say uh, some steel company is able or some office is able or some insurance company. No, no. He said, God is able. He didn't say the United States government is able. I mean, there's a broke, we don't don't want to go there, amen? But he said, God is able. You know what he said? God is able to give it to you so you'll have to give to others. Hope you'll be much in prayer about, about your giving. Such an important thing. I've often thought, And uh, somebody was mentioning about getting back in America and getting down and kissing the ground and so forth. Yeah, years ago, I read in Reader's Digest that this fellow had been out of the country for a good while. And he came back to America and going through customs. The customs agent said, sir, do you have anything to declare? He said, yes, sir, I declare. I'm glad to be back in America. Amen. And you think about other countries. God's been good to us in America, has he not? I mean, you know. By the way, people on welfare in America are wealthy by the world's standards. If you have a place to live, something to eat regularly, you're among the richest people in the whole world. God's been good to us here in, in America. It's sad to say, but many American Christians receive from God like this. But thank God, many Christians have learned to receive from God like this. Hey, and by the way, that's all God needs. Every once in a while, <clears throat> and I know, as being a mission director, you know, often you think, "Man, wouldn't it be great if we had some millionaires?" And that, you know, you're not going to turn them away just because they're millionaires. Amen. But God doesn't necessarily need millionaires. You know, what I mean? you know all God needs. God just needs some channels. And when God can find an individual, when God can find a group of people like Central Baptist Church, there's literally no limit to how much God may give through you. Could I suggest he'll give a lot more through you than he will just to you? God loves a cheerful giver. Every man according as he purposeth in his heart. Think about it. Pray about it. And then obey God. Let me give you one more verse, okay? Look at chapter 8. Chapter 8, verse 9. Why should I give missions? Why should I give missions? For you know the grace of our Lord Jesus Christ That though he was rich, yet for your sakes he became poor, that ye through his poverty might be rich. There is the passion for giving, okay? Notice Paul didn't say, now you know about the grace. No, no, no. He said, you know. You know. Experientially, you know the grace of our Lord Jesus Christ. In other words, he's talking to people that have been saved by the grace of God. And you know the grace of our Lord Jesus Christ. You have experienced it. Though he was rich, and oh, nobody was ever as rich as him. He created the entire universe. He left it all and came to this earth and suffered and bled and died. Nobody ever became as poor as he did. And he did it all for us. Now, I often say this, and I mean it from the depth of my heart. If God has not done anything for you, if you don't know anything about the grace of God, then, then don't even think about giving. But if you have experienced the grace of God, there are eight billion people on planet Earth. Conservatively speaking, half of them have never one time had a clear presentation of the gospel message. And we have the opportunity to get involved and getting that gospel to every person on the face of the earth. Let's pray together. Pastor.